I've got the worst thing to ever happen to the Antarctic. Wow, so much to choose from. I've got uh, someone who liked it so much they put a ring on it. And I'm talking (laughs) about birds. And welcome to Date Fight. Mm. It's the podcast that pits great moments in history against each other. Yes, it does. He's Jake Yap. I'm Nat Dapley. And together we have sort of made a mess of this introduction. (laughs) I've messed it up. Uh, We've looked through facts. We're going to argue. That's that's all you need. That's how it goes down. And uh, we're six apiece. What? So far this week, Six I believe. All? I think so. Oh, yeah. Unless it was a really weird dream I had oh, yeah, last night. Yeah, because George Harrison's ding-dong beat the creation of the Irish Free State. Sorry, Irish people. Oh, OK. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> all right, then. It's all in it's fun. All... We love yeah. you very much. We do. On the 8th of December, 1660, the first woman took to an English public stage to play Desdemona in Othello... And that woman was... We don't know. Wow. It's either Margaret Hughes or Anne Marshall, but we don't know which. Most people think it was Margaret Hughes. Margaret was... Do you want to hear the descriptions of Margaret Hughes? Of course they do. They're pretty sexist. Oh. Oh, good. <laughs> Here we go. It's like Hello Magazine from the 17th century. Uh, <laughs> Margaret Hughes was a great beauty with dark, ringleted hair, a fine figure and particularly good legs. This is total Daily Mail sidebar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it gets even better. Margaret had... Hughes dazzles in a... She also had an affair with the king. She had an affair with Charles II. Wow. And she had an affair with Prince Rupert of the Rhine. Blimey. She got about. She did. And she had a daughter with Prince Rupert of the Rhine. And if you had a daughter with Prince Rupert of the Rhine, what would you call that daughter? Uh, not... Not Ruperta. Absolutely. Oh, are you serious? <laughs> absolutely. Which always reminds me of Nigel Lawson, who had a daughter yes. called Nigella, another daughter called Thomasina. <gasps> are you sure you don't want a son, Nigel? No, I'm fine. No, I'm no, fine with very, daughters. Very happy. Very Bring happy. out Brianna. <laughs> Alana. <laughs> wow. Uh, yes, so that's Ruperta. Ruperta. Yes, that was to, Prince, to prove to Prince Rupert that he was her daughter, she called him. Uh, Ruperta. That is staggering. So that's mine. Is the appearance first appearance by a woman on an English public stage in Othello in sixty on the eighth of December, sixteen sixty. Okay, I'm going back to the eighth of December, uh-huh. nineteen eighty seven. Wow, uh, which was a, a great time for international relations. Was it? Uh, well, it was actually because the first ever treaty got signed between the Soviet Union and the United States to reduce the number of ground based nuclear arsenals. Mm. Uh, reversing 30 years of nuclear proliferation during the Cold War years. So really? it was... Yeah, it but was... the anti-ballistic missile treaty is when? Sort of early 70s? Yeah, this is gr- ground, gr- oh, ground-based ground missiles. arsenals. OK. All right. <laughs> uh, Ronald they Reagan. Ban- they banned nuclear weapons in space in 1968. I remember that one. Yeah. Because that's a fact I didn't choose for... Another day. Ronald Reagan was all mm. about the arsenals. And <laughs> uh, Soviet General Secretary Mikhail Gorbachev uh, signed the treaty uh, on that famous date. So uh, this was uh, land-based ballistic missiles mm. and cruise missiles and launchers with ranges of 500 to 1,000 kilometres and then up to 5,500 kilometres. But it didn't apply to air or sea launch ones. 
It's got to be on the ground, okay? And it did well. In four years, they got rid of 2,692 missiles, which is probably like 1%. When you say (laughs) got rid of, (laughs) what does that mean, please? Um... Well, I, you know, they... Disappeared they, somehow. They just went... The nuclear just, missiles just, we used to have just yeah. went away. Yeah, don't look in that garage. That's, yeah. My mum's in there. She's getting changed. Um, for 27 years, we all got along fine. Yeah. Uh, until uh, United States President Donald Trump announced oh. on the 20th of October 2018 that he yep. was withdrawing the US from that treaty. Oh, good. Due to Russian non-compliance. Oh, so were the Russians already not doing it anyway? Uh, that was that was what they said. So uh, the US formally suspended the treaty on the 1st of February of 2019. Russia did so the following day in response. Mm. So formally they withdrew from the treaty in, in August of 2019. But to be honest, it's all about being frightened of China. Right. Whose nuclear proliferation is quite staggering and everyone's getting a little bit antsy, I think. And who wasn't party to this treaty anyway. Yeah. Guys, stop being so mean about Alibaba. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's what I got. I'm going to argue that uh, the first woman on an English stage is far more important than a treaty Are that you? was... Uh, Are you? Yeah. Are you? I am. Okay, uh, quite well, seriously, you know it, as a series of treaties, given that it wasn't the intercontinental ballistic missiles, it wasn't uh, the sea-based missiles, it wasn't the space-based missiles, and both countries are now no longer party to it, I'm going to say that it was not the most influential thing that happened that day. I'll let you have that free pass, Matt. And I might use mine in the next round. (laughs) In the meantime... Happy birthday! Happy birthday to Horace! He's just called Horace. He's the poet. Yeah, Horace, Roman poet. Um, He was also at the Battle of Philippi, where he abandoned his shield and ran away! Oh. Horace, of course, is the person who wrote Dulce et Decorum est pro patria mori. Really? Yes, sweet and good it is to die for your country. He was wrong, as he proved by running away from the Battle of Philippi. (laughs) (laughs) Not that good and sweet, was it, Horace? I had no idea that had actually been attributed to anyone and that it was Yes, Horace. no, it was a quote. I mean, that's great, man. That's like sort of Madonna or Beyonce. Like, you know, you, you've got the one name name. Yeah, just Horace. Just Horace. Speaking of Madonna, also happy birthday to Sinead O'Connor. <laughs> who uh, caused outrage on Saturday Night Live when she tore up a picture of the Pope. Oh, yeah. The next week, Joe Pesci was hosting... Saturday Night Live, and he presented a stuck-back-together picture of the Pope. Did he really? Yes, to huge cheers from the studio audience. Oh, yeah. And he said, if that had been my show, I would have given her a smack. Oh, wow. To more huge cheers from the studio audience. And Madonna actually also complained about tearing up the picture of the Pope. And the week after, I think it was hosted by the Pope. Yeah, the Pope tearing up a picture of Sinead O'Connor. Yeah, he did some very funny skits, I remember. She was protesting child abuse in the Vatican. He was protesting her terrible version of Ave Maria. <laughs> Fair. Uh, also, happy birthday to William Oliver Wallace, racial stereotype Ali Bongo. Oh wow! He was one of not one but two racist stereotype comedy magicians for kids in the 1980s. Uh, along with the other one, the Great Soprendo, of course, Victoria Woods' husband. <laughs> yes, Jeffrey Durham. Jeffrey Durham. 
Anyway, happy birthday, Ali Bongo. Or it would be happy if you weren't dead. Was he president of the Magic Circle? He was. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, uh, Jeffrey Durham certainly was. I think Ali Bongo may have been at one, but sorry, William Oliver Wallace may have been. Was it a, a, a requisite that you had to be a racial stereotype? <laughs> yes. Did they, it was Stavros pleating there. <laughs> <laughs> Sad death day to Drogo of Metz. <laughs> That's like the hardest crossword answer ever, isn't it? It's the, it's, yeah, what can I get that fits with a, a, a D, a G, a Z? Drugs of pets would work. Okay. In, in that crossword. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Drogo of Metz, uh, son of Charlemagne, uh, brother of Louis the Pious. Um, he... Was I think he was the illegitimate brother, so he wasn't allowed to succeed from Charlemagne, and he had to keep the whole family together and tell them uh, when they were splitting up um, Charlemagne's empire into West Francia, East Francia, and Lotharingia. He had to tell them all. He had to break the bad news to them all that they oh, weren't right. getting the whole thing. Oh. Uh, he later died while fishing. He fell in the river Onion. The river Onion. <laughs> the river. Onion. Are you serious? <laughs> Absolutely serious. How to succeed in Francia without really trying? Yeah. Um, I'm, by the way, I'm going to claim uh, some moral victories here for not having chosen the 8th of December 877, which had someone who was the son of Charles the Bald <laughs> and was succeeded by his younger brother, Charles the Child. <laughs> <laughs> That's the royal equivalent of Chuck Jr., isn't it? was was Louis the Stammerer. Oh, poor Louis. It was very Chuck Jones, actually, in which case. <laughs> Mel Blanc. Uh, also, happy death day to Golda Meir, fourth Prime Minister of Israel. Um, she went moved to a kibbutz in 1921 and became pr- Prime Minister of Israel later on. Um, also, happy death day to Oliver Postgate, who Aww. yes made his first series for the BBC with small films. Um, Alexander the Mouse cost £175 an episode, which is roughly what you get now to make <laughs> Yeah, you're not far <laughs> off. I've seen the budgets for kids' shows. Yeah. And for right. Daytime, it, it is staggeringly low. It's ridiculous. It's lower than radio shows. Like a half-hour radio comedy. It's lower than podcasts. Is twice the money of an hour of daytime TV. <sighs> it's horrific. You can't even repeat Columbo for that. No. Uh, well done. That's the death days. Good, good births, good deaths. Good day. Nice. So, you've got uh, something coming up you're pretty proud of in yes. round two, uh, Well, no, but no? I'm going to use my free pass now. Free pass? And enjoy- I made well, a very cogent well, argument I don't know that, that you the did. existence of women on I the l- stage is more important than one of a series of treaties no which one, are no longer followed. No one is demeaning the struggle for equality, all Apart right? from you. Yes. <laughs> and I'm a bloke, so I think it probably <laughs> so carries... It more weight. <laughs> Yes, I do. Um, I'm taking you to the 8th of December 1909. Okay. When the Bird Banding Society <laughs> was founded in America. <laughs> Come on. Leon J. Cole of the University of Wisconsin. Jake Hall. J. Cole, not oh. Jake Hall. That's a different podcast. Um, he founded the American Bird Banding Association. Uh, so uh, they were putting rings on oh, you know yes. they liked yep. the birds so they put a ring on them yep. and uh do you know when the practice began 1909 roman times what roman soldiers uh would uh, in the punic wars you know the punic wars <laughs> yeah in the punic wars mm-hmm. uh in 218 bc uh, a crow was released by a besieged garrison yeah uh, which suggests that that was an established practice oh uh they put a thread on on the bird's leg to send a message 
back to anyone at all. <laughs> yeah, like, please, if this please, is the first one, how does yeah, it know where it's going? Please call Uber Eats if <laughs> yeah. you get this. So um, it's gone on for for a very long time. Uh, oh. Falconers, obviously, in the Middle Ages and stuff. So this was uh, the beginning of a, a a sort of pan global bird yep. banding <laughs> movement. Okay, which was uh, quite uh, exciting. And they were trying to find out what was going on with migration. So there's a, a treaty, the Migratory so Bird like Treaty, a... which did not get torn up oh. by Donald Trump yet. Um, and it was... he loves mutilating birds. It was signed... Well, <laughs> famously, Black Hawk Down is what, what he thinks his duvet is stuffed with. But, um, so, yes, it's the UK and Canada and uh, the States. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a big, it's a big deal. Deal. It's a massive deal. It, and it doesn't matter if it isn't because I'll just use my free pass. What have you got as Nats? big a deal oh. as the 8th of December 2013 when Metallica played on Antarctica? Oh, nice try, <laughs> hot shot. Nice try. Uh, making them the first band ever to play on every continent in the world. Yeah. What did the penguins make of it? I reckon probably more than most humans would have. <laughs> Oh, a loud screeching of some sort. That's good. Why? So it was literally just to get into the literally just so they could say they'd played every um, every uh, continent. They would just finished making an album with Lou Reed, who ended up challenging them all to a street fight because he found them so unpleasant. Really? Mm. Wow. There's not much more to that story. No, it was a weekday, the eighth of December. <laughs> it was quite weak. <laughs> <laughs> In case you can't tell, yeah. you've got to up your game, eighth of December. Maybe so good will happen a today. band doing a cheap publicity stunt. Yeah, all right, you win on bands. a nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I'll you legitimately do win. <laughs> That's okay. Well, it's seven all. Yeah, I and feel like such a fool. It was six two at one point this week. Yes, <sighs> we might have to go back and independently verify these results. Anyway, <laughs> seven all tie break. Yes, uh, it's the final day of the week, mm-hmm. and a forfeit must be paid. But by whom, we will have to decide with the tiebreaker. And at this point, we actually don't know. It's quite exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the way we do that is we go into Wikipedia and we pick a random article. Yeah. We pitch them and yeah. we see who wins. Good luck. Yes, I am pressing I now. Now. Good luck. <laughs> All the best. Uh, I'll go first. Okay. I've got okay. Sterling Ranch, Colorado. It's a planned community in Douglas County, Colorado, of course, uh, which, as you know, is along the front range of the Rocky Mountains. Ah, yes, my favourite Construction range began in 2016 mm-hmm. with eight builders offering single-family homes. Is this just a housing estate? It is literally. And there's... The, in fact, there's a photo and... Wow. It is... <laughs> it is literally like seeing some kind of satellite town <laughs> homes only on the moon like you can't there's it's not nothing, even a good photo yeah there's nothing you can see like it's it's taken at sunrise before there's any light but there's a highway yeah there's a construction sort of fence there's two completed houses and sky like there's no distinguishing feature on the <laughs> landscape it is it's like a weird it is literally like someone built a housing yeah estate on the moon That's there's nothing good. there well, one. you should tremble in your shoes mm. before the might of Lubondé Airport. <laughs> what is that? 
It's an airstrip serving Lubonde, a village in the Kasai Central Province, formerly Kasai Occidental, of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Oh. Yeah. The interesting things that have happened there include nothing. I call that a draw. Click one more time. Okay. Ready? Hang on. Uh, I've gone off to find to try and find anything else about no. Lubonde Airport. Ready. Steady. Go. Okay. Okay. What do you got? I have... True Love, styled True Love, the song from Fumiya Fuji. It was released on November the 10th, 1993. It was number one in the weekly singles chart in Japan. It was the 29th best-selling single in Japan in 1993, with 806,000 copies sold. (laughs) Okay, well, I've got a song too, so we're going to go on sales and chart position, okay? Okay. So this is What's Saturday Night, released in 2002 by Ooh. the popular group, The Underdog Project. I know you love them. You're a big fan. <laughs> You've probably got I all of these. I prefer the spin-offs from The Underdog Project. It's very similar to their first hit, Summer Jam. And you're already thinking, wait, isn't that what the first one was called? No, yeah. Saturday Night is what the first oh, one was called. Of course. Which got to number two in Belgium. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've won. No, I got to number one in Japan. Oh, come on! <laughs> Oh, for the first time, I what's, thought I won. What's the, uh, what, how many copies sold? Don't know, Actually, don't care. It's over. Right, here's the forfeit. Yes! Okay, Nat. Yes? Welcome to the Date Fights <laughs> Bar again, you lucky winner. Yeah. Um, I am going to pamper you. Good. Like you've never been pampered before, okay. babe. And I want to cut your hair. We're just gonna zhuzh it. Just give it a bit of styling. Just take these some don't away. Feel off. like forfeits for take some the, these. You they feel like forfeits. Am, for... This is a treatment that is normally seventy five pound with a senior consultant. <laughs> I am not a senior consultant. No. I'm what's known as a pre probationary, <laughs> except in a legal sense. Yeah, and yeah. I'm gonna do. Okay, I'm gonna okay. take some of the weight. All right, all right, all right, all right. All right, fine. Just while you tell it. us about a historical. Fine. Event or personage that you think's of interest, darling? Yes. I'm going to tell you Mm. about the man Mm -hmm. who invented space... (laughs) That's the bit there. Space... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, John Wilkins was Oliver Cromwell's brother-in-law. What? And he wrote... Scissors are well blunt. And he wrote two books about Ow, so, the I'm possibility. So sorry. They are well blunt and sticky. Hang on, that's got it. That's a nice bit. Thanks. <laughs> about the possibility of space travel. He thought that there would be people living on the moon, and he, we should go and trade with them. So he wrote a book about how we should essentially just go to the moon and trade with them. Um, he it's thought- very hard to stay in character because that is an amazing story. <laughs> It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Um, he was married to Oliver Cromwell's uh, youngest sister, Robina. Yeah. She was obviously named by Nigel Lawson. We've established that he only likes uh, boys' names with an uh on the end. That's a good bit there. Oh, yeah, that's chunky. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so he wrote a couple of books about how we should travel to space, and he tried to make flying machines in the 1650s. He was a founding member of the Royal Society, so he was hanging around with, um, I think it was Hook at Wadham College. <laughs> Quite close to the eyeball, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. You and do, it's intense. Normally, I'll give a little reflexology massage. Yeah, I, I, don't, I just don't like that. I know you don't. 
Uh, in the Quad of Wallum College, they made a few attempted flying machines. They assumed that once you got 20 miles from the Earth, you would then be able to float the rest of the way to the moon, and that um, when you got to space, you would breathe the purer air that angels breathed. Wow. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, because he was uh, so close to Cromwell, when Charles II came back and there was a restoration, he wasn't very popular, and he lost most of the things he had but he ended up living long enough to become Bishop of Chester and that's the story of John Wilkins in space travel I feel like you was hurrying your way through that story <laughs> somewhere. is there any more you want to talk no, about? no that's sure. fine that's okay. <laughs> it's done well that's how that went down uh, thank you very much indeed for listening don't forget that tomorrow the slate is wiped clean just like in real life it's going to go on and on and on forever each week is a new chance for misery yes yes and join me for that misery will you because <laughs> it will be mine uh, fail fine we'll see you tomorrow bye